Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Strength to the Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, author, playwright. This will be episode number 103, Mailbag 3, for the New Year's our first mailbag episode. It'll be fun because we have a lot of episodes that people have been asking about. Obviously, I'll have to have another show in another month or so because I still have too many questions and, and not enough time on, on these shows. But it's pretty exciting. I'm also doing something new. I have my uh, my son, Sammy, with me on the show. He's, he's listening to it. And uh, I'm going to actually uh, answer one of his questions about one of the shows. So that's always uh, nice. He's 14. Hopefully he has a, a, a interest and perspective, something maybe different than we do. So that'll be fun to do as well. All right. Uh, first, I wanted to get uh, get away some uh, unusual business over here. I'm not really sure if um, through an exchange or not. Maybe I was not clear enough. But I got a uh, I got a fellow out there in the Midwest, and I don't know. I, I guess he's gay or something. And uh, uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I don't have any problem with that subject. I don't have any problem if you're doing some gay cowboy thing. If you want to bring some of that on the show or talk about that or whatever, I'm not against it at all. Okay. And we haven't even done that. That particular subgenre of poetry. So, letting you know out there, if that's what you're into, you want to talk about that, that'll be that will be fine with me. Okay. All right. In the meantime, let's get on to the mailbag show. My first question, and thankfully most of these are positive for a change. Sometimes people can get a little rough, and I don't, I'll, I'll put them all out there. I'm not going to be shying away from anything unless it's like, you know, utterly profane or you know, bigoted or something, and that's different. The first one, love the O. Henry episode. There was so much I didn't know. Keep up the fine work and looking forward to more. Thank you very much. That was the first show we did on the Classic Spotlight series where we did a little bit of um, almost legal um, justice um, investigation on the person because of uh, you know, him going to jail. And it turns out later on he probably didn't rob the bank, meaning of a type of embezzlement and you know, it's, in any way, uh, curiously, uh, that's why he wrote his best stuff in jail for three years. So I don't know if that was his fate or that's how way things supposed to go for him, but that's how it worked out for him and he made the best of it. So thank you very much. In January, uh, in the new year here, which I'm recording, uh, we're going to be doing a classic spotlight series. If you recall, it's always at the end of the month that we do it, the last episode. And this month we're going to do Jack London. So that's going to be interesting. Man from Call of the Wild and... Uh, uh, what is it? Um, White Fang and all kinds of uh, uh, adventurous outdoors type uh, uh, stories. And he was definitely the guy for that. All right. Next uh, question over here. Suspect language was a classic home run out of the park. While I appreciate your balanced treatment, I still believe more suspect language comes from un-American socialist gangsters. Okay, Lovely. All right. Um, so let me, let me put it to you this way, because I don't I don't like to play uh, games with words, because that's what that whole show is about, okay? I don't do anything balanced just because I'm trying to impress anybody or make someone think that, 
you know, somehow I'm in the middle of things because I'm not. I'm not a fence sitter. I'm not a moderate on anything. All right. But I found plenty of examples on both sides of the fences of these sort of things to bring up on the show. And that's what I did. Was it on purpose? Okay. Whether there's more on one side or another, I don't really know. It's not like I'm keeping score, adding it up. I'm just finding them as they go along and saying these things stink. I'm sure later in the year I'll find some more for the new year and then we'll go from there. Okay. But um, I think it's important to talk about language when it's used in a way to hurt people or to deceive people because it is ruinous to a, a democratic republic. It's ruinous to a free society. And quite frankly, it's ruinous to a free market because if the citizen or uh, the consumer can't be fully informed, they don't make the best choices. They wind up making choices for somebody else rather than for themselves. And that's never a good thing for anyone. All right, next one. How we forget how destructive language can be in the hands of greedy groups bent on harming the individual. When she went further. And I can imagine that. I've gotten a few um, emails about this. Um, I'm not doing them all on the show. There's too many, actually. And some of them went a little bit too far or, or actually thought I didn't go far enough or whatever. But, hey, I don't really know how you could do a subject like that and cover every little thing that's going to make everybody happy. You know, I'm not much for the cliche of you can't keep everybody happy, even though that generally seems to be the case. But what I will say is this. I got about an hour. I want to find the ones that people can um, really relate to, renaissance with, something they know about. They've heard fake news before. They heard woke, all these nonsense terms. So it's important to bring things up that people remember and they recall hearing about, not bringing up something that's so obscure. Because quite frankly, if the suspect word is so obscure that most people haven't heard about it, well, then it hasn't done any damage. What, what the hell did it deceive? Like three people in the theater or something? So that's the whole point about this, is doing something that had a more of a massive effect because... It's the bigger effect that has the more negative effect, not the smaller effect. So I, I had to go for the bigger common and but bigger sweeping ones. It made the most sense to do to do so. Okay, and that's that's my reasoning behind that. I don't know how much more I can go further because the further you go on a show like that, I start leaving the literary world and start going deeply into the political world, and I'm not really looking to do that. Well, touch upon that on that subject now and on the show. That's fine. But I'm not looking to do entire shows or half the shows on that. That's not what the show is about. That's really how you turn people off. And I don't really see how that helps me because ultimately it's billed as a literary show and that's what we are. Okay? All right, next one. That emotional show was perplexing since it seemed like you were on every side of the debate. Maybe pick a safe side. Well, maybe, maybe pick a side next time. I'm sorry. Maybe pick a side next time. That was the last line of that question. All right, so I guess we finally got someone looking to hit me over the head with a with a curveball or something. They're talking about the uh, emotional turbulence in the writing process show, okay? And to me, it's a similar question to suspect language. Like somehow, um, you know, doing everything possible to be balanced about something. Hell, folks, I don't even know if the show is balanced, okay? I, I doubt that I'm a balance as a writer or as a human being. I don't know if you're making a joke about that. I'm sure there's times I'm not. Oh, well, I'll live with it. My family does. You will. You'll live with it, too, if you keep listening to the show. But it's not like I'm off in some crazy reservation or on planet Xeon eating purple popcorn. OK, to be honest with you, I don't feel that I'm um, on every side of the debate because ultimately 
there really isn't a debate in this situation. I simply stated my own theory that too much emotion in writing screws up the writing. You don't get much out of yourself. It starts getting too confessional, too therapeutic, and then you just lose the whole concept of constructing a piece of writing, getting something that's close to art, if not art itself. So I felt that you needed it in more moderation. In fact, I started the show that way, joking about that emotion in writing was a lot like alcohol. My opinion was that it was good in moderation. So don't know what they're talking about, and I'm everywhere on this thing. Okay? Some things are not so black and white, all right? And I don't have any problem with that. But understand this, okay? It's important to have some of that in the writing. You're going to need to have a kick of that in some there. You're still a human being, too. I'm not telling people, shut off your humanity so you can write something that's, you know, pure art without any emotion. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can't get carried away either to where people get tired of that. Because once you do that, you don't know when to stop. And you get 10, 20, 30 pieces all ringing some kind of emotional uh, strength to him, some kind of bell you're trying to hit, and then that burns people out. They're wondering that's all you that's all you can write. So you got to keep things buried up. You got to keep changing up things. And that's how emotion helps you. Doing it all the time, bad idea. Not good for art either, okay? All right. I wholeheartedly endorse the emotional turbulence episode. As a well-informed reminder of maintaining control to create art, but realizing humanity is an emotional creature. Well done. All right, well, I guess that question in many ways or that statement kind of helps me out a little bit in what I was trying to do. And yes, that's pretty much what I was trying to do over there. Figuring out that if a person can maintain some kind of control over that, that in itself helps them control, you know, the structure of their writing. And its direction and how it's shaped to where that you're not trying to exercise emotion out of that. You're not trying to edit out your humanity. But what you are trying to do is you're trying to deal it in in a way that's not too overpowering for the customer. Or in this case, you know, the reader. That's what you want to do. You want to do. I mean, it's no different than cooking. We all know from cooking that there are certain ingredients you don't want to put too much in. You put too much garlic, the thing tastes like hell. You have too much pepper, it's the same way. It's, it's no different. A, a, emotion is an ingredient in all this writing, and you got to be able to dial it in a, in a way that's just not too strong and overpowers everything else. It's really that simple, okay? Do I have a perfect formula? No, I don't think anybody does. But as long as you're aware that that can happen to you, you can just take care of it in the re-editing process. You could put that to a side to another day, maybe when you're less emotional and you've got to look at it with a little cooler temper or a little bit colder, you know, a demeanor of just better eyes with it, new eyes with it, and then correct it and adjust it. All right? Thank you for that question, by the way. All right, finally got some questions about the, uh, the Metal Future episodes that we do. Uh, totally raving on the retired rocker episode. Dude, these guys need to poop or get off the pot. Um, he didn't actually use the word poop, but, you know, I try not to curse on the show, you know, for all kinds of reasons. So thank you for that. I, I agree. Um, I, I find it um, not only ethically challenging, but I also very find it art, art artistically stretching, the, you know, the, the, the point of no return. Okay. I am one of those people that I generally don't care too much about live performances. I often think they sound sucky. I put a lot of money out for something that sounds crappy. I can just listen to it at the convenience of my home, drink some tea, 
listen to a CD and hit it perfectly like it's supposed to be sounding from the studio, right? So I'm really not too impressed when the, the guys are doing it for what reason? To promote some crappy album that nobody cares about so they can sing the same hits for the last 20, 30, 40 years? I mean, it, it, only, it only looks like a ruse for more money. Again, and I'm not making fun of these guys, but you're 60, you're 70 years old. I mean, how much more can we see that? How much more are you going to be able to do, really? So, I don't know, we got to have them all a bunch of stuff dying on the stage or something before we kind of realize this. I don't understand it. So, it doesn't really help. Not to mention it's confusing people. You retire, you're not retire. And let me give you some updates from that, level, that show. Two things a little bit disturbing. Now I hear that Slay might get back together again after he's supposedly retired. And then worse off, Scorpions are now putting out another album. And who knows, they might be, they might actually go. Now they're backtracking. Well, I don't know about the retirement and blah, 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 blah. Lord. Um, probably have a follow-up on that. All right, Mega Dittos on the Metal Future Show. Any rocker who lip-syncs should be beaten with a bass guitar neck. Well, can't, can't uh, argue with that. And this is happening already with Kiss, and it happens with other people. Other acts like Janet Jackson have done this. I mean, I heard Madonna was doing it. It's just it's reprehensible because, you know, it's not like you're going over there for $20 tickets or something. You're spending 100 or more. What? To listen to a, a soundtrack with an old person sagging on, on, on the stage, and now they're lip-syncing on top of that? What's next, huh? We go over there and throw a pacemaker and, and some Depends up on the stage? What the hell else are we going to be doing? It's ridiculous, okay? If you want to be old, be old. Stay the hell home. I'll listen to your CD and peace out. Okay. On the passing of Neil Peart, which, by the way, it happened a few days ago. This is my most recent question on anything. Are you guys going to do a show on him or Rush? And, yeah, it looks like I, I think that we were going to do a show on Rush anyway, so definitely going to have to deal him in on that. And an incredible uh, drummer, but probably the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, Incredible streak of tragedies with his wife dying of cancer, his daughter being killed by a hit and run person, and then he dies of brain cancer after retiring only a couple years ago. So, um, and we don't really know what the timing was. Was he did he retire because he had the arthritis like he was talking about, or did he retire because he realized he had brain cancer? I don't know. It's hard to know. And I'm not trying to delve into that to find out, but it is curious and doesn't seem so uh, coincidental. Okay. Uh, love the guy. Rest in peace. Keep hitting up there and and and, and having uh, your your songs and your lyrics. Remember, he was also a lyricist too for the band, not just a, a drummer. So he's a really a deeply artistic and intellectual fellow. Probably one of the most in, in in rock music. So we'll definitely have a show on him for sure. Okay. All right. Writing to affect change is the type of show twist that you are becoming known for it keeps things interesting thanks for the brain power well appreciate the compliment sometimes i have a brain on the show other times i'm probably just ranting and raving like everybody else just that i happen to have a you know um, a podcast to do it on uh yeah we, we do have uh some different twists we try to do that's how you keep things interesting try to keep things original i try not to do the same thing over and over again so it's important to come up with things. And I, I like that particular show, too, because it kind of gives you some interesting takes on writing that always, always have to be literary or artistic. You don't have to be literary or artistic. You write a letter, a letter to the City Hall or write a letter to the corporation. You know, I didn't get the 2,000 flushes of the tidy bowl thing like you promised me. 
or my Coke tastes flatter than, you know, this, uh, this figure number two pencil or, you know, uh, my, when I used to smoke, my cigarettes uh, are ultimately stale and they're, they're expensive. What the heck? You know, and et cetera, et cetera. So as a consumer, you should be protesting things because it's your money. You have a right to extra quality. All right. Another one on that show, writing to affect change. One of the dilemmas with affecting change through writing is too many writers are ill-informed, poorly traveled, or blindly loyal to a cult of personality. If change is going to take place, we need better people becoming writers, not better writing per se. Right, well, that's certainly a, a big difference of opinion. To a certain extent, I'm going to agree with you that it's very hard to affect any kind of change if you don't have a real understanding of some of the subject matter at hand, you know, as you know, recently we had this general, you know, taken out by uh, our military forces, someone that's killed, you know, literally responsible for killing hundreds of American soldiers. I'm a veteran, so I got no problem with that. I can imagine others who are not understanding that or not taking that into account that would protest something like that, like we're a bunch of evil people over there, just like shooting people in the head for the fun of it. Well, we have very good reasons for doing so. So it's the same concept. Yeah, I agree. If you're ill-informed, if you're, um, you're not really understanding of the subject matter, it's kind of hard to affect any kind of change because you just sounds like a, you sound like another moron protester that not know what's going on. You know, and I, I always find it bothersome from my own personal stance that oftentimes protests, which should be decent, noble experiments out there to, you know, to raise some, some profile and possibly gain some exposure on something uh, important in our social structure is usually... A bunch of people who skipped the day off, had a latte, and over there quoting a bunch of, bunch of uh, slogans that you know some some organization gave them. All pre-canned nonsense, nothing intelligent. That's very disappointing to hear that. So from that standpoint, point, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know if we need better people to become better writers. Because quite frankly, I often think that better writing and more understanding what goes on makes people become better. Not only in reading it, but the, the writer themselves. I felt I've become better from writing rather than the other way around. I mean, sure, world travel helped me as well. Been all over the world, but in the end, learning more from the writing was a big help. All right. What we got over here? Okay. I got a question here that my uh, my son put out that he wanted me to, to talk a little bit about. And I, I like it. It was a really interesting one. This is from my son, Samuel. How, th how would things be different? If Poe was still alive longer than his early death allowed. I think what he's pretty much trying to say is, you know, if Poe died, you know, in his 60s rather than, in, in, you know, in his late 40s, what would have been different about him? Well, I mean, I, I, I have a couple of theories. First of all, he did a novel that was pretty decent, you know, William Williams, but I, I William Wilson, but I, I really think that he would have did a much longer novel, maybe even something more science fiction. I'm definitely convinced that he would have continued on with his detective. You know, um, he did it in Perline uh, Letters. He did it with uh, Murder of Rue Morgue. You know, he, he did it with uh, the mystery of Marie Roger. I think he would have did a few more of those. He did three of them, and he would have did a few more. We would have seen more of the mystery type stuff. Then instead of letting uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle take over and, and, and do his own Sherlock Holmes. And, and I'm not saying that he ripped off Poe because he didn't. He was just inspired by them, and God bless him. You know, but I think he would have did more of that. We also might have seen more of uh, uh, Poe out there doing some lecturing on the, on, the, on the circuit and really getting, getting some knowledge. I really think if Poe 
was able to live longer, he might have actually finally turned the curve and making some money. and Maybe even stop drinking and have a little bit more of a stable life. Maybe he would have finally found the woman that wasn't dying on him every five minutes. That helped, you know? So I, I, I like I like that um, question, and I definitely think that there was more in store for us, and maybe for him too. I really think that there's a chance he would have had a more positive life if he got to see more positive things come from his writing. I think towards the end of it, he was actually starting to see that. With the Raven making him some money, he was going to places and, and reciting that and making a couple bucks. You know what I mean? Not like that, you know, dishing out a poem to some rich people and then go get a couple hamburgers afterwards on their dime. What a, what a great deal, you know? So, love that whole idea. Great job there, Samuel. Thank you for listening. It was one of the few writers, actually, that I did on the show that, you know, he had studied in school and knew something about. So, maybe others will learn more when he goes into high school. Just happy he's learning. I'm also happy that uh, he was one of the winners of the Black History Contest in an essay and contest in his school a few years back. So it's great to see he was out there getting some writing done and, and doing something unusual and constructive. We're not an African American family, so it's really nice to be able to uh, to work in that genre and learn things about that and, and maybe dispense some some knowledge of his own from what he learned. That's what King would have wanted us to do: learn from each other rather than throw rocks at each other. So, um, God bless you, Samuel, and um, God bless you, Martin Luther King. All right. Now, I had a few other questions, and a few of them I'll paraphrase, because I don't really know if I want to call them questions or not. I mean, they're like, sometimes I get people, they, they don't send me a question. They send me like four paragraphs. It's like a, it's like an article, essay, or just, I don't know, a bunch of multiple statements. And it's like, holy moly. So, uh, and, and I understand, I appreciate your enthusiasm, and I, I can't complain about anyone submitting anything, I mean, at least they're listening to the show. So, I'm certainly happy about that, okay? All right. Now, I had another question about uh, O. Henry, but again, it was more like a statement. They wanted to know pretty much um, why O. Henry did, bet, did his best writing when he was in prison. Now, I don't know if we're ever going to know the answer to what you're asking, but I can give you my theory, and my theory is simply this, okay? I mean, he wasn't in a regular jail cell with a bunch of people trying to murder and rape him. They put him in a room in, in the medical ring and let him be the, the doctor slash pharmacist there for three years. So I, I have to assume everybody goes into their prison cells and do their thing. It gives him a lot of quiet. It gives him a lot of quiet, you know, quietude, a lot of you know, a lot of privacy, and, and, and I, that has to be a, a big help for somebody like that. I mean, he was productive. He was able to mail a lot of stuff out, get a lot of stuff mailed out and, and you know, and done. You know, uh, as much as uh, the theory is that O. Henry standing for Ohio Penitentiary, whatever it's standing for, I guarantee you he didn't want to actually come out with his real name because, you know, who wants to find out that the, the author they're reading is in jail, especially for bank robbery. So I do... It's one of the few times where I see your pen names really made some, some sense. You definitely needed one in that situation. But yeah, that would be my best guess about that because he was still productive after prison. Don't get me wrong. He still did a lot of different work. He did a lot of work about working class people, people out in the West, people in the city. You know, he did a couple of uh, novels, but he was more on the short stories. But they didn't have the same kind of, uh, uh, I think, zing and impact you know, that, the, that the earlier work from, from the jail cell did okay. all right my next one of my quasi statement <laughs> um 
uh, questions is is on on the metal future, and, and this one was pretty much uh, giving me a whole rundown about you know Motley Crue's coming back and what should we expect and you know all that. So let me tell you what I think we should expect, and I'm just it's not going to just be about Motley Crue, but it's going to be about people in general. Okay, it's not like it was in the '80s, folks, or even the '90s. The digital world and uh, the collapse of of really the record company makes things completely different. It's almost like you put an album out just to look like they're trying to do something fresh and new. Things don't really sell very well. They do a couple songs off it. I mean, quite frankly, any group that unretires or goes back on the road, they're going to be singing all the stuff that you know about already. They're going to be singing their hits. Vince Neil will probably have had his stomach stapled like 98 times, lost about 100 pounds. He's going to go out there running around and you know, be in better shape. That's pretty much going to happen. That's going to happen with most of these bands. That's pretty much what it is. You know, the only bands, they're really playing anything generally new are the newer ones that come out there. And those ones are truly committed to touring because that's the only way they're ever going to make any kind of living. Because albums just don't do well. Unless you occasionally get a hit single out of one of them, maybe. And that's, just, uh, that's a very hard thing to do, especially on a harder rock band or even a metal band. It's hard to do that these days. The audience is still out there, don't get me wrong, but it's not the same as anymore. We don't have the crossover type appeal like we did in the 80s with some of the more you know, pop metal like Dokken and Crew to a certain extent and Warrant and all that. And we don't have the videos anymore for this. It costs too damn much to even do a video anymore. It's like a quarter of a million dollars. The companies wouldn't do that. Most of them can't even afford to put people on the tour. they got to join a, a, a tour of three, four, five bands just to get something. I don't know if you've done the math, but you got five bands, each with four or five members. That, what is that, 20, 25 people, you know, doing some some clubs and maybe some small stadiums or something. I mean, what are they getting money-wise, you know? $100 a show, a couple graham crackers and some gummy bears? I mean, you're not giving them a whole lot. I mean, really not, you know? I don't know what the hell they're making. I mean, sure, it probably beats... You know, working some nine to five job or working in a damn factory or something. But, uh, I mean, in terms of glamour and fun and all that, but not exactly making lots of money. It's that's a whole lot of hard life. So you better really love music to be doing that because that's the kind of thing you're doing right now. You can't do the old days. You cut a record that does well. You do a, a seven, ten day dates if you want it and call it a day. A lot of people never realize that Van Halen sold so damn well with their albums, they almost never toured. They, they were one of the least touring bands in the world. I'm serious. The only one, only band I know that didn't tour as much as Van Halen was uh, Alan Parsons. The Alan Parsons Project just released albums, got hit singles, never toured once. People don't realize that. They never toured once. Um, and Van Halen is right in that range, trust me. In fact, they did a little bit more touring because, you know, they got, you know, they had a, uh, you know, Sammy Hagar over there doing some stuff in the 90s, but it just never really a touring band. That's just the way it was. All right. Next uh, statement type question uh, is from one of the episodes I, I did that had to do with, hold on over here, because sometimes they don't reference the show. It just blasts into what they want to say. And then you have to, like, you know, get some kind of general guess or something. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a show. Uh, I had a show with an interview. It was really a show. It was an interview with with Catherine Shields, and she's the one that did that. Um, uh, my Phantom Ovaries. Uh, we we nominated for uh, Pushcart Prize in Fiction. 
you know, it's a show about uh, dealing with some of the life changes and, and also how do you, how do you maintain a female identity when, you know, some of your private parts are being operated on? I mean, it's probably no different than a male when that sort of thing happens. So it's a serious thing. And, and someone asked me uh, uh, about if that show was uh, really, quote, literary or really, quote, too graphic or maybe I, I shouldn't do that. It was a whole statement almost like against this, the interview of the show. You know, but listen, folks, I'm not going to shy away from somebody that has something like that if they meet something literary like that. I mean, to, to all fairness to, to Catherine Shields, if she wanted to come on the show and talk about that and she didn't have a piece of writing to back it up, it, it, it wouldn't have been a topic for me anyway. Okay? But because she had a piece about it, it was a good piece, and we nominated for award, well, why not? Makes sense. Works within the show. It's literary. I'm, I'm sorry if uh, you know a, a woman talking about a vagina is is freaking you out a little bit, but hey, you know get used to it. I had to get used to it and never had a show like that before. Not really sure if I'm going to have a show like that about that again, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know we all have to be big boys and girls over there. No one's trying to be graphic. No one's trying to be uh, weird, or, or we're certainly not trying to be uh, you know strange about it. I mean these things happen. These operations are a regular basis in people's lives. And I really think the subject of the questioning of a person's identity, especially their, their sexuality, and I don't mean that in terms of being straight or gay, just the sexuality of, oh, can I, am I still a woman if I'm missing this? I mean, it's a valid question, you know? Men would be asking this all the time. So why not, why not women, okay? All right, so I appreciate you making this statement. I understand your feelings about it, okay? I honestly thought that we were classy about it. And I honestly thought that we had some some decent decor, and I didn't let it go out of out of whack because it could have been, you know, you know. But I don't recall us saying vagina ninety eight times either. Okay, so try to give me a break here, but all right. I had a um a really nice statement on on Clyde Barker. That was a show that we did a couple months back. One of the more modern writers that that are still alive <laughs> which is always funny when i finally do about a, a show about a writer that's actually alive compared to all the other ones that did that are dead yes i uh, love clive barker um this person wanted to know if we're going to do something more with them am i yes we are i'm going to be um during the course of this year i'm going to be coming back to revisit uh poe do some more stuff on him i, I want to revisit um uh, clive barker and and we're gonna go on to do some normal ones too, like say Jack London this month. You know, I wanna I wanna uh, I wanna do a show on um on what was his name? I'm trying hold on, it will come to me here in a second. I'm sorry. Oh oh okay. Um Ralph Ellison, the the uh, the African American writer that did Invisible Man, a few other things, really, really interesting. Uh, I'm I'm definitely anxious to do a show on, 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 on the incredible Harlem Renaissance poet and writer um Langston Hughes. So we're going to be definitely doing that. I have a few requests uh, about a few writers, but I'm not really too sure about the, those writers. So I don't want to do. Like I said I don't want to do things that are too over commercial. That's why I haven't done anything about Stephen King or J.J. Rowling or you know any of that sort of stuff. Just because I, mean, I mean, in the end, all we're going to be doing is talking about one of the books or one of the movies or something like that. And to me, it, it, it just strays away from being literary. It just becomes pop commercial fan. And, and, and less literary so i'm not saying that these people are not writers i'm just saying that they're not literary writers you know in, in my book anyway so no i'm not probably going to do any of those um 
I, I am I am thinking about uh, doing a, a show on on uh, I don't know why these things escape me sometimes. Um, probably just because we're doing so much. Oh, okay. I wanted to do a show on the Mexican poet uh, Octavio Paz. He's always been an earlier influence of mine. I've known about his work and read his work in English for years, so I definitely want to do one on on him as well. And then we'll go from there on on on, on picking out some some over there. Remember, we got twelve months. We got twelve people to pick from, so we have a, a lot of those coming up, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Thank you very much for asking. Okay, I got um uh, another statement or question about Vanity Insanity show, and yes, we're firmly against that. I even gone as far in my aerial um short journal to to not allow people to have that as a credit. If they have a, a, a vanity project, I'm not promoting it. Not the same thing as the independent project that you might have done yourself. That's fine with that. I'm just talking about these these uh, these fly-by-night places. You know, they all have stupid names. Alien this, moonshine that, you know what I mean? Cajun this, blah, 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 that. I mean, it, dumb names, vanity projects. You're giving them money. They're giving you things that look like garbage, you know? Get bad reports about the quality, bad reports of the editors, Poor behavior, sexual harassment, racial bias, bigotry, hatred. I had one guy got so mad he cursed out my wife on on Facebook against me. And this 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 is one of those wonderful people that people like on the vanity things here. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of individuals those people are. So yeah, I'm always gonna be against them. I'm always gonna mock them. I'm always gonna be doing whatever I can to stop them, slow them down, dissuade people properly. To, and I've done a, a successful job of getting people away from these idiots. I'll keep doing that until they fade away because I'm sick of them out there. They hurt writing. They hurt writers, more important, and we don't really need that. You know, can't find someplace legitimate, you know, figure out how to do it yourself and put it out there. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I got a, uh, I got a great um, kind of question and, and statement on, on an interview I did on Mental Future with uh, Trey Cicillo. That's uh, a fellow out there in um, – and Texas got his own band, Sincere. It does another other projects with other people as well. And he's also a man that knows how to do studio work. He's done some videos. You'll see some stuff on the Metal Future, Metal-Future.com uh, uh, website of ours. Okay. Um, they were they were happy with with you know some of the, some of his work. I I really I played one of the clips. It was really really happy and good. I like it kind of gloomy, but it was it was, it was definitely a creative and, and, and original sounding. The guy is interesting as hell. He, he's pretty damn intellectual. Uh, I love him as, as a guest. I, I know he wants to do some more stuff with some other bands uh, as well that they were doing on the site. So we're going to be doing more work with that guy in the months ahead. He's just a great guy to have around. And, and, and I thank you for asking questions about him. I'm so glad he's part of the show and, and, and definitely uh, uh, a part of uh, what we're trying to do on, on, on the metal future. So thank you very much for Trey for being a big part of that. You're really a cool dude, and and, and kind of hard to get the things done without, without cooperation of people like that. So I appreciate it. Um, you make me look good, so <laughs> that's another reason why I appreciate it. Okay, and my last question is: Yes, and this has to be about the Perseverance Show. We did a, a show some I don't know ten or eleven episodes back uh, called "The Mechanics of Muse." It was the last segment of that called "What Is." perseverance and they wanted to know you know is it possible that you could persevere to the point that you know your writing gets bad or or maybe you're just not good to begin with so keeping the go is any 
you know, I don't really know about that because I really think that ultimately the process of rewriting, which is part of perseverance, helps you see things better, helps you write things better, helps you put things together in a better structure, in a better way. It makes it sound better. And that's going to make you ultimately, you know, and a better writer. I mean, when they say that practice makes perfect, I mean, it's not just a corny cliche. It makes perfect sense, especially in writing it. The more practice, the better you're going to get. So why not? You know, I don't really think that you would start off as a bad writer and after you continue to practice and you continue to, to, to temper with things and continue to do it, that you just, you're just going to improve. You're going to improve. That's just the way it is. If you care about it, it's going to improve. You're going to naturally get better. Yeah. So, yes. You can start off from being a lame writer and, and wind up being really good in time, but just by practice and working on it. So, yeah, you know, but no, I don't believe that you're a bad writer and you, you keep working on it and practicing on it in every sincere fashion. And after six months, you still suck. No, if you're honest and you're sincere, you're really doing it. You will get better, period. So thank you for that question. All right, folks, I appreciate it. It's not a, a super long show, but, you know, we only have so many questions we want to be able to do on something like this. I look forward to the next three episodes we're going to be doing over here, okay? And I'm pretty excited about those, uh, the ones that are coming up over here. So look for our, our, our advertising banner on that. And until then, God bless. Uh, strength to be human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show and visit our blog at strengthtobehuman.blogspot.com.